Hit the lights. You've discovered the Half Watt Podcast. We want to educate and entertain by tapping into the most trusted source of new technology, the ones installing and innovating it. You, the tradespeople that build from the ground up. Join us as we talk with industry leaders, veteran contractors, and even some young blood. Welcome aboard. So uh, a little bit under the weather today, but you have to put up with my strange voice and know it's not Rona, so you won't come away with ear Rona. But I did test myself a few times to make sure. Um, but anyway, uh, given enough Sudafed and Tylenol, here we are. So today I want to talk about uh, what's the best panel. Now, as you all know, I'm kind of a fire monkey. I like fire more than anything else because that's what I'm the uh, most adept at and that's what I've worked the most at. But this can apply to any system. It doesn't have to be a fire monkey system. It just happens to be my my expertise. But what is the best system? Let's talk about that. Um, I've got experience working on Silent Night, Fike, Simplex, a uh, few others, uh, Firelight, stuff like that. Uh, I will tell you that, that with the Simplex systems, uh, I have... Uh, spent an enormous amount of time working on the 4100 Plus and the 4100ES and a couple of the 4100Us, which are the the, the big heavy panels, the uh, uh, the panels that can really uh, sustain a hospital or a, uh, a large uh, a large building. Uh, I like those panels. I've come to understand them and to know them uh, and their uh, idiosyncrasies. And that means that you know are they are they the best are they better than EST are they better than notifier are they better than than gamewell well let's 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 look at that if i if i take a system that i'm familiar with and i go to start troubleshooting it uh, or programming it even and i go into the minutia of how this thing operates um, i'm learning more about that panel every single time i touch it so even if it's a system that I've looked at, worked on, played with, um, banged my head against, I always, always, always have to go back to my training, uh, my experiences, uh, you know, my other technicians, um, even even the simplex techs, for example, to say, you know, what what am I what am I what am I not seeing here? What am I not doing? How 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 why is this thing you know kicking my butt? But Every day, I get better and better and better at working on those panels, especially since now that's that's the only panel I'm working on. So I could tell you that on a, say, a Simplex 4100 Plus, which is a very old system uh, in, today's, in today's technology, you know, they're pretty much bulletproof. And anything that has been around the industry for as long as that panel has the company has worked out most of the bugs and most of the equipment and all of the shortcomings and all the failures uh, are known. And they're known, you know, basically industry-wide. And it's not unlike when I was in the military, I was working on a piece of, of electronic warfare equipment called a WLR-1. And the WLR-1 that I first worked on in 1980, would have been 1984, 1983, I got out to the USS Denver and this piece of equipment was tube and solid state. It had synchros and servos. It uh, took up a room, uh, and I'm not saying that lightly. The, the, the receiver itself was broken up into, into all these subcomponents. And if I was to 
put the antennas and all the subcomponents in one room, it would it would literally take up an entire room. It was it was a it was a behemoth. And I looked at this thing and I went, oh my God. I mean, I had worked on one in school and I knew that I would probably be gonna, you know, see one in the fleet, but I uh, I didn't think that would really be the piece of equipment that would be my primary sensor, the primary one I was gonna work on. I just didn't, I just kind of had hope that I would work on something more modern. So I got out to the fleet and here was this thing. And um, just to touch it, just to turn it on, just to be able to operate it was, uh, took training it took it took the technicians who maintain this thing to painstakingly go through and show everything about it you know so that I was not going to make a mistake how to handle it in an emergency how to turn it off in an emergency uh, what not to do what you could do um, the more I operated this machine the more I began to love it and the more I realized that this wasn't such a bad piece of equipment after all and months later after I had I had uh, uh, really gotten all my calls on it and, and could operate it really efficiently, I just began to love this thing. And I could see why it was so good, even though it was old. Uh, turns out that that piece of equipment was designed in the uh, probably the 40s or the 50s and had been modified over and over and over again. So by the time I saw it in the 80s, every single problem it had ever had was documented. Every single shortcoming was 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 uh, overcome. Every single alignment issue could be dealt with. When you went to school, at say a Mo2 or mobile technical unit to get some training on it, the the folks there had worked on them for all their careers. And it turns out that that particular piece of equipment uh, was also on some submarines, and it was on you know some of the some of the uh, destroyers and and cruisers and stuff like that. Everybody who worked on them loved them, and so. Uh, we deployed with this particular piece of equipment, and it did have some shortcomings, but there were follow-on pieces of equipment that if you were on a destroyer or a cruiser, you would have added to help, you know, give you some more bandwidth and kind of see the threats a little bit easier. Um, but the whole time I was gone, so this is a six-month deployment, um, that machine that machine went offline for a total of six hours. Matter of fact, it went offline, it, it blew itself up, it blew up a voltage regulator tube, um, because we couldn't get to the off switch in time and on a ship when they drop the power they may reapply it and older equipment especially old tube equipment um, when it when it loses power the power supplies are doing their best to keep the voltage levels where they needed to be and on this this particular piece of equipment I think you created 2395 negative and positive. So you had a lot, you know, you had almost 6000 volts of potential difference in there. So these machines were working uh, as much as they could to keep the voltage where it needed to be even though the incoming line voltage was going away. And if they reapply that line voltage, now it's got to do the opposite and push it back down and the tube that would uh, try to do that is the regulator tube, and when that happened, the kid who was on watch missed the uh, off switch, power went out, then they reapplied power, he missed it, bam, blew the voltage regulator tube. And I never saw technicians so excited because they could actually pull out some parts and fix and realign this thing and take it offline for six hours and do some more of the alignments. And I kind of sat around as, a, as an operator of it and scratched my head and went, well, I don't know what the, what the joy is here, but they got it all aligned and we got it back up. The other piece of equipment that was very commonly used in the fleet was a much more automated piece of gear that had come out of the late 70s uh, called a SLQ-32, uh, which was on almost every other ship that we had in company. 
those machines at the time couldn't stay up for more than six hours at a crack. And they were constantly going down, constantly having problems. And that's because it was brand new technology that they were still working the bugs out of it. So at the end of my deployment, I, um, I had a, a very strong affinity to this particular equipment and this older type analog uh, gear. And I sort of saw the beauty of it because it was designed, uh, uh, you know, in an era where tubes and transistors and, and uh, uh, other technologies, which you probably wouldn't recognize, were being used. It, it, it was more mechanical and electronic than just electronic. So uh, long story short, when I re-enlisted and went back to school, I went to school on the Slick 32 and the, the V3 variant, the one that could actually do some um, ECM work, some transmitter work. And uh, I really had an eye-opening experience learning computers and learning you know, how the new technology applied. It was, it was a daunting thing to go from all analog to these computer slash analog machines and to to sort of make the transition even though you know in the 80s by that point we had uh, personal computers were coming out I hadn't really learned all that yet I had just I had just some some limited exposure to it anyway this is a lot like the fire alarm equipment of today where if you're working on something that is ancient and I'll I'll pick on simplex because that's what I'm super familiar with if you're working on a 4208, and that is an old, old, old system with relays and latching relays and uh, hard, hardwired um, zones, there are very few people anymore that could really navigate their way around a piece of equipment like that. And so, you know, the big push is to upgrade it and, and get into something more modern, which I don't blame anybody for. But for the technicians who worked on a 4208, that was, that was a piece of cake. Everything about it was simple. And once you understood it, understood the logic, it made sense. When you went to the next version of, of Simplex Panel, which would really be the, four, the, the 2001, everybody knew about those. And the more you worked on them, the better you got at it. It was transistor logic. It was, it was simple. Uh, things weren't wired the, and, and labeled the way you thought. But once you became familiar with it, it was a piece of cake. And then as the new technology came down, there's this, always this resistance to, to learn new technology, but eventually you do, and you become good at that. So even with our equipment today, the older 4100 plus, as we call them, uh, when I work on these things, almost all of the problems that I run into, um, especially with, with the hardware and the, and the actual head end of the system, are easily fixed, easily easily understood, uh, easily dealt with. The wiring in the field, however, still is, is the most daunting problem to solve. So it really doesn't matter how good your head end is if, if some knucklehead has wired it poorly in the field. And I'm gonna reiterate this a couple of times during this lecture, because how well a system is installed and how well it's wired matters immensely into how error-free this thing is going to be, all right? So my point at this point is, is Simplex better than EST? Is EST better than Notifier? Is Notifier better than Gamewell? Is, is Siemens better than the, whole, than the whole kit and caboodle? Yes and no. If you've never worked on a Siemens panel, 
and you walk up to one to troubleshoot it for the first time, it's going to be the most horrible, worstest panel you've ever dealt with. There's just no way around it. There is no way for you to walk up and understand what's going to happen when you start tearing into this thing if you don't know how it works. If I was to ask you to troubleshoot a toaster and you've never seen a toaster before in your life, how would you know what's wrong with it unless you knew how it worked? And and I mean that. And 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 of course, once again, I'm all talking about fire because that's that's my my chosen field. But it doesn't matter if it's security. It doesn't matter if it's access control. It doesn't matter if it's if it's uh, even if it's network equipment. It doesn't matter if you don't know what this thing is supposed to do normally. Then how the hell are you going to fix it when it's not working correctly? How do you know it's not working correctly just because it's giving you a trouble code? If you can't interpret what that trouble code is and you don't know how it's supposed to be operating, you'll never, ever fix it. So understanding what something is supposed to do when it's working normally will then help you analyze how it's working when it's not working normally. Now, uh, I worked for an EST vendor for five years, and up to that point, I didn't have the bestest opinion of, of EST3. I just didn't. Um, I had worked on them at OSU. I was very familiar with how they operated. I knew that I knew all the wires I had to pull to quiet this thing up so I could get it tested. And I didn't have to tech them very often because they had their own techs on site. And when we went to do any repairs, if I couldn't easily solve it myself, I would have the technicians come out and they would, you know, explain what they were doing. And one time I worked on an EST3X, which is a, sort of an upgraded version of the three, and they had just put it in in a couple of these buildings. And it was put in by the staff there at, at, at OSU, at the housing and dining crew. So they're electricians that installed it. It was a thing of beauty. It was a thing of beauty. I was blown away by how well it worked. I was blown away by how well it was easy to test. Everything that I was looking for in any other system was there in that system, but wasn't in some of the older systems that had been installed. And so I asked why, what's going on? Well, you know, we, we installed this one ourselves. We programmed it ourselves. We, we did all the commissioning ourselves. We knew everything about it. The other systems were installed by another company who didn't do due diligence to make sure that the systems were installed correctly. So they were fighting field wiring issues, device issues, programming issues, and they constantly were fighting this. For those of you who are not familiar with the, with the, for example, with the Simplex system, when I go to uh, address a device, I have to, I have to know binary, and I have to be able to look at the, at the binary address and flip it because a lot of times when you look at a binary address, the lowest number would be on the right, just like if you wrote out, uh, if you wrote out, you know, 793, three would be the least significant digit. Well, when you write a binary number out, the least significant bit or the least significant digit would be on the right, except in a lot of simplex equipment, it's reversed. The least significant digit is on the left, which means that you kind of have to flip that logic and write the smaller number to the left and the bigger number to the right. It's not hard, but once you once you figure it out, it, it makes sense, unless you don't know how to work binary or you don't know how to, unless you don't understand that. Well, with EST, that's not the way it works. EST 
all of the components come out of the factory with their own addresses, their own unique addresses. And so the technicians enroll those into the software and the system knows what these addresses are and it stores them. And then it draws a map in its mind and it's in its memory where it knows where each device is in line with the device ahead of it and behind it. And it does that when it starts itself up and it's called a map. It makes it a unique system because if I come out with a simplex system and I have to change out a head, I can just change out the head on a, on a smoke head. There's no addressing to it because the addresses go on the base on a simplex system. But on an EST system, the address is in the head and that address is unique and there is no way to change it. So if I take out one address and it's one, two, three, four, five, six, and I put it in a new head and it's six, five, four, three, two, one, well then the system automatically goes, oh, you changed out one, two, three, four, five, six with six, five, four, three, two, one, therefore I recompile my, my uh, program, I'm ready to go. And so it actually was more convenient in some senses, in some conditions. But if you wired it wrong, if you didn't follow the exact method that EST laid out, and as we all know, sometimes when a contractor installs stuff, they just sort of install it the way they think is right, well, then that mapping may not work correctly. Now you've got an issue that the system was never designed to have. The system was designed to be put in exactly the way they tell you to put it in. But when you alter that, well, now you've got a problem. That can give that particular system a bad name or a black eye. It's not the system's fault, okay? It's the installer's fault. So if, if you get into a, you know, chest-thumping match with somebody and go, oh, well, ESD is better than Simplex, and Simplex is, you know, terrible, and, and Notifier is the best, each system has its problems, and each system has its advantages, Right. If you walk up to a notifier system, a lot of those addresses are easy to set because they're they're decimal. If you need to set 163, you put in 163 or whatever it is, or 24. Uh, you don't have to think about it in binary terms. Uh, maybe you're working on a Silent Night system, and since Silent Night has two different uh, types of uh, smoke heads that it can talk to, it can talk to either Hochiki or it can talk to its own brand, Silent Night, which is a Honeywell. The Its own brand uses the same rotary switches that a notifier would use. Just the same exact, you just dial them in and, and that's it. But Hochiki, you actually have to burn that address in with a double EEPROM burner. So if you don't have the knowledge or if you've never done that before, that can be a kind of a daunting thing. What I'm kind of getting at here is that there really is no one system that's better than the other. Okay? There I can't I can't sit here tonight and tell you that well Fike is better than them all and and you know Siemens is the best they're all they're all good. They're all designed and UL listed to do a job very very well. But what does matter is how it was installed what documentation is available, and what the technician knows when they show up on site. Those three things matter immensely. And if you're going out and working on equipment and you don't know what you're doing, then you need to, A, either figure out what you don't know and make up that difference, 
or you need to or you need to somehow gather that information or you need to have someone show you what's going on if you're dealing with a piece of equipment that's got some problems that's that's bad enough but if you're dealing with with wiring and field issues now you've got two things to deal with you don't know how the machine works and you don't know what's going on in the field and there's no documentation to help you so when i uh when i teach students uh, and this last week i was actually teaching about drawings and i every time we talk about drawings i talk about uh, documentation and 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 in the life cycle of a building and i i make this a, a specific point about this. If you, if you and I decide we're going to put in a building and we do all the right things to, you know, to, to find this lot and get all the permits and get all the environmental stuff done and, and draw all the permits and do everything we need to do so that we can, we can put this building in. Before they ever break ground on it and we get all of the documentation together that we're going to do, once they break ground and they begin to build that building, every single action that is taken on that construction site is documented, all of it, every single thing. Doesn't matter if it's the electrical side or the plumbing or the uh, cement side, it doesn't matter. All these things are all documented. What cement you used, you know, what type of rebar was put in, uh, where you know where the where the lines were you know the, where they're going to use copper where they're going to use pecs where they're going to use some other you know piping for the plumbing every type of fixture every type of of door every doorknob every window every seal in the place is documented and indeed before the building is ever commissioned all that documentation is put together and put into binders and given over to the owner of the building so that they have a complete record of everything that was done, everything that was done. If the permits called for one thing and you alter that, then there has to be a change. Because if if you said you're gonna put in a, a notifier system and the inspector shows up and it's and, and the and the permit says it's gonna be a, a a 642 and what's really in there is an EST four, well they didn't approve an EST4, they approved the notifier system. There's two different systems. Somebody at some point needs to go back and go, well, that wasn't right. Or you put in a system that was supposed to be voice evacuation and you didn't, they didn't want a voice evac or vice versa. So all of these things are spelled out and each discipline in, in a given jurisdiction and city or county or whatever jurisdiction you're working in, they all have knowledge of what should happen. And as each piece of that building is put together, the inspectors come out and verify, yes, the electrical work has done the way we thought it was gonna be done. Yes, the fire alarm system's done the way we thought it was gonna be. And yes, the plumber comes out and says, the toilets are working great and everything's done the way we want it to be done. Even the state of Oregon is now looking at buildings in total, not just individual components, but how does the whole building work as a system? to make sure that we're not putting smoke product in the wrong place, that the holes to the firewalls or the penetrations are completely sealed the correct way. All of these things matter. So in the life of a building, if we get this building built and we put it together and all this documentation is handed over to, to the, the, generally it's handed to a commissioning agent and the commissioning agent will go through, look at the contracts, 
that were signed about the building and make sure that the, all those contractual commitments were done. And he doesn't care about whether you made or lost money on the job. That's not his job. He's there to make sure, she. They're there to make sure that the, that the, that the contract said you're going to build building X with these things in it, and it is exactly like that contract says. And then they test it out to make sure that it's all the right way. Uh, when I was uh, a tram manager up at OHSU, one of the things that the commissioning person had to do was send a guy out to make sure that each and every nut and bolt holding up the siding, which is like this open grate siding, was torqued to the right specifications and had Loctite on it of the right color. Every single one of those things. They had to verify that every single one was done correctly. So once they verified that all that stuff is done, the commission agents finished. They say, yep, you're, you've, got, you've got exactly what you paid for. Boom, the building's now ready to be occupied. Everybody can come in and, and, and do their stuff. So a client comes in and says, well, look, all the numbers, the room numbers are one, two, three, four, five, six, and we think that's dumb. We want them all to be A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and we want the fire system to match that. We want the access system to match that. Now you start to change the building. Well, we don't like this room. We want to we want to take this wall out and combine this and open that and add more windows here. Every modification to that building needs to be permitted, approved, make sure that it's not, you know, uh, destroying the integrity of the building, make sure that the smoke control is going the right way. Every single thing that changes on that building needs to be maintained and needs to be documented. Because at the end of the commissioning and at the time that they turn the building over, you should have been handed, if you're the owner, all of the documentation, including how the building was built, the as-built. How do we, what do we really do? We said we're going to run Ryer this way and we we're gonna run this type of wire, but we had to make a change, and we actually ran the wire this way, and we couldn't use this, we had to use this kind of wire, or what have you. As long as those are authorized changes, we would have all the information at hand and be able to show that. Everything, from the types of sinks to the types of, of, of lighting, uh, I wanna say fixtures, and I know that's the wrong word, but luminaires, everything about it has to be documented. Every change has to be documented. We go all the way through the life of this building, and there are buildings that I've worked in in, in, in the, the great city of Portland that I have been there with two or three different companies, seeing the same engineers running the same building year after year after year. You go in their office, there's all these books on the wall, there's always drawings in the, in the table, here are the changes, I need to go back and look at something from the 80s or something from the 70s or whatever, and those, that documentation is there. Well, that should be that way in every building, not just some big skyscraper downtown, but every single building that's a commercial establishment should have that, all of them. If they don't have it, then something, something's amiss, something's wrong, something's not connecting right. Somebody's, somebody's doing something that they shouldn't do or their, their documentation isn't complete. Now, you get to the end of your life and the building is going to be torn down, then there's actually closeout documentation like this is done this is all completed we're 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 finished and they bulldoze the building and off you go to build another one or whatever the heck you're going to do with it all right so the life of of a building is more than just your contribute your, your contribution to it there's more to it than just that there's there's an entire structure uh, in 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 civil design and engineering and maintenance that 
that that we have worked hard to produce. We have code books, we have uh, inspectors and and uh, you know city and county folks that that do we, all of this structure that we put together here is there for a reason. It's not there to be cheated. It's not there to be gone around. It's not because you're trying to make it a pain. Uh, because you got to pull a permit for this. There is a reason why it's all there. A lot of it has to do with liability. A lot of it has to do with liability. So we'll maybe put that off to the side. But that's an important piece of this whole deal. You're a chunk of that, of whatever it is you're working on. So when you come in to work on that building or whatever panel it is or whatever system you're working on, you're altering something in that building and something in that system if you alter it to a point where it needs to be permitted, then permit it. If you're not altering it to a point that it needs to be permitted, then document it, right? Because if you're not documenting, you're not doing your job. You have to make sure that everything you touch, you left either better than the way you found it, or you left it the same, but you documented what was going on. And and I and I mean that by 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 with as much force as I can say that. All right. Our jobs as technicians and our jobs as electricians is to stand up here and to work on these systems and to make absolutely sure that we have either fixed the problem or increased its capability or changed it to some degree and that you know exactly what is happening. You know exactly what you left. And if you don't know and if you've just basically treaded water for two and a half or three hours, then fine. Document that too. But... Don't do due diligence to make sure that everything that you touch, everything that you change, every time you go into a system and come back out of it, you've made it better than it was before and that you've that you've opened up someone's eyes behind you to what's going on. Don't 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 leave a mess for somebody. Don't don't be a trunk slammer that just comes out, uh, screw something in the wall, attach a few wires. Uh, take a check and run out the door and don't do anything else. Okay, let's do this correct. Then and, and doing it correctly and making sure that all of us are on the same page, that we're all following the, the local regs and the, and the local uh, laws is a way to keep people safe. And it keeps you it keeps you out of the hot seat, maybe legally or either criminally or civilly. You never know. So going back to my original statement, if if I was to say to you that, yeah, I think EST is much better than any other system on the planet, it is if you know it. It absolutely is if you know it. If you know EST backwards and forwards, then it is the best system in the world because you designed it or you installed it or you fixed it or you maintain it. And there's nothing about it that it does that you can't figure out. Therefore, it is the best system. It might be silent night. You've installed it, you know it, you know how to work the program, you know how to work the field, you know how to work the devices, you know all of the things, all of the ins and outs, then by God, Silent Night is the best system there is. Maybe it's Firelight, maybe it's Notifier, maybe it's Fike, maybe it is whatever it is. The better you get at this job, the better you know your equipment, the more time you spend understanding its nuances, its pros, its cons, how to program it, how to change it, how to alter it, all these things, it makes everything better about these systems. It doesn't matter what's installed. It doesn't matter what's installed. It matters what's in you. 
the maintainer, the fixer, the installer. That's what matters. Having the integrity, having the knowledge, caring about your work, making a profession out of this and not just a job is what's critical. So I'm back to working on simplex equipment. Uh, I It would have been a long time since I worked on it. I got back to the 4100 Plus that was a machine I knew I, I could tear apart and have a lot of fun with. The other day I had a problem on ES, which is the more modern version of that. And we shifted out this power supply. We We changed out all the things we thought it was and the problem didn't go away. And I looked back at my apprentice and I went, then this problem is not you and me. This problem is something that I don't know the answer to yet, but it certainly isn't that component that I pointed at, which is a power supply. Now, one of the other journeymen I worked with had seen this problem before and knew exactly what the problem was. And it's a lot of times it's like a heart attack. If you, they'll tell you if you have a heart attack that the, that the, some of the beginning pains will be in your left arm, you know, above your elbow on the backside of your arm, or you'll feel indigestion and pain, not really where your heart is, but kind of off to one side. That's exactly what was going on with this system. Even though all the indications were it was this particular power supply, it wasn't that power supply. It was another one. Completely different, completely different machine, completely different power supply. But the indicators were when it was going bad, it would cause a trouble in this other power supply. And of course, not knowing that, we shotgun parts in there until we just scratched our heads and realized we didn't know what the heck we were doing. That's when you call an expert. That's when you call Simplex Center. That's when that's when my other journeyman stepped up and says, oh, I've seen this before. This is what the issue is. Now, that knowledge, now that he shared that knowledge with me and he shared it with my apprentice, all three of us know that. And guess what we won't get fooled on again? That problem. Because that knowledge is now public. Public with us. Okay? Same thing happens when you show up to work on a system. If you show up to work on something, I don't care what it is, and you run into a problem that you've never seen before, document it. Even if you put it in the panel. Even if you leave a note in the panel. I still, when I run into a ground fault, I will still leave a piece of tape on it with a grounded symbol and the date. Even if I've cleared the ground off that wire, I will still leave it in there. I was working on a system the other day where I had three pieces of tape from, from almost 20 years ago. Each one had a ground on it at one point or the other. And so when I started to troubleshoot it, I just checked those three first. Because how do I know that problem didn't come back there? I don't. And it was on one of those lines. <laughs> so there you go. How it was installed was the problem. In, in this case, the, the installation was so poor by whomever did the work. I don't know who. I don't think it was a contractor. I think it was an internal job. Uh, the wrong wire was pulled in the wrong application, and it grounded out. That's the name of the game. So we know what the fix is. We'll have to fix it and make sure that that doesn't happen again. Documentation, somewhere sitting back, Making sure that on AutoCAD or, or some PDF file somewhere, what we found, where we found it, how we fixed it, putting that stuff in a database that can be accessed by future generations or by other technicians is the key. Because each step forward, if we don't share that data with other people, is a step backwards. And there may be some cases where that's not the case. 
I, I can't tell you in the security world that you want to you want to write down all your faults with the system and leave those records, uh, you know, open for someone to see. I'm not saying that that's the right answer in every situation, but in life safety, it absolutely is. Okay, so maybe in security, if uh, if you've got a bank that you're protecting and you say, boy, if you do this and this, then this system's not going to arm itself. Well, then you may not want to make that publicly known. I thoroughly understand that. But that's the exception and not the rule. In almost every other system, we want to make sure that people know what we did, how we found it, what our steps were. Even if they've seen it before, we want to do it again. We want to, we want to do that. And we also want to talk about liability. In the liability game, if I work on a system and someone gets hurt um, or, heaven forbid, gets killed, uh, there will be liability. There will be a hot potato that's going to land in someone's lap. They will. All right? And it may not be the client that's going to come after you, but it will absolutely be the client's insurance company. So this is a litigious society. Everybody likes to sue everybody for everything they possibly can. Don't be that liability. Don't make yourself that liability. Document what you found. If you show up and you're working on problem X, and you look over and see another problem off to the side that is even adjacently, um, you know, close to what you're working on, write it down. At least make it known. Don't don't hide it. Don't go, boy, you know, I looked over here and saw that, and I, that, that was a real problem. Every once in a while, that might backfire on you. Every once in a while. But for the most part, at least letting the client know. If you walk into a room, I'll give you a good example. You walk into a room and someone's storing gasoline in it. That's got nothing to do with what you're working on. However, you know darn good and well that gasoline should not be stored inside of a building. Would you walk away from that? I mean, you're not liable for it. You didn't put the gasoline in there. But you know darn good and well that gasoline vapors will ignite and blow up things. So you might want to do some due diligence and go back to the client and go, you know, I found a five-gallon can of gas here in this uh, linen closet next to this water heater. I don't think that's a good idea. You may you may want to you may want to just kind of put on your Superman cape and go. I'm going to put this outside, right? Or at least let somebody know and say that's got to move. That's got to change. This is maybe they don't know. Who the heck knows? But what I am telling you is that is that if you're working on a system and you've altered it to the point that it doesn't do what it's supposed to do and someone gets hurt, maimed, or killed, someone's going to go in the hot seat, okay? A lawyer's going to come after you and do what they do, which is is extract truth out of you one way or another. So if you document everything you can and you have gotten a signature from the client, for example, then you have at least given yourself enough protection to go into a court of law and say, look, I did what I did. I put it in the paper and I'm done. What else can I do? I've told the client it's his system or her system. I've done what I was supposed to do. There's nothing else I can do. So what do you want from me? I'm certainly not going to go to the fire marshal and sit down and talk to them. That's not my job. But protect yourself to that degree. If you come in and alter a system, don't say a word, and we come in and find it and figure it out, then all that accusation, all those focus points are going to go right at you. 
well, wait a minute, you're the last person who worked on the system. The system worked good before you because we just had it inspected six months ago. We had no problem. You came in, changed it. Now it didn't work at all. Someone died. What happens to you? What happens to you? Or what happens to your company? Or both? So those are the things that you want to think about. And even in the Berg situation, uh, security, it's the same thing. If you come in and altered a system, a security system, and it doesn't work when it needed to work, and someone gets all their stuff ripped off, what's going to happen? A, you might lose a client, but B, you might lose a client who then comes back and goes, wait a minute, what they stole out of here was the was a priceless automobile, right? I don't know. I mean, I, that we, we thought we had a good security system, and what you gave us was a bucket of, of, of crap. So what happens now? Well, I'll tell you what happens. They're going to recoup that money. And like I said, it could very well be an insurance company that will come after you or come after your company, not necessarily the client. The client may not have any choice, but the insurance company absolutely does. So be aware of those things. Every time you work in a building, every time you work in a, especially in a life safety situation, if you notice things that aren't right, you make changes, document what you've done. And if you don't know that what you've done isn't going to work, then you should probably do everything you possibly can to make sure that it is going to work correctly. Test it. Verify it. Look at it. Make it make it do its thing. Make it do its job. Right? Don't listen to a client going, I can't have these bells going off anymore. It's driving everybody crazy. Okay, then sign here on the dotted line. I can't have these bells going off anymore. It makes everybody crazy. Sign here. Right? Because the liability has got to be on you then. So I had a, a, a situation one time where a, 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 an inspection came up and we found some problems with some systems and I wrote down exactly what those problems were, had the client sign it, and went about my business and got a call a few months later and from a very upset state uh, uh, inspector who was upset because I didn't do due diligence to have the client fix the problem. Now, that's, that's few and far between. That's very rare that that would occur. So I said, okay, what, what exactly is due diligence? Well, you should have made the client fix this problem. I can't make the client fix the problem. You can't make the client fix the problem. It's the client's equipment. They can fix the problem when they damn well feel like it. Well, he didn't see it that way. Well, that's great. Uh, in all the years I've been doing this, and we're getting close to 30 now, it's that's once where I've had a state person come back and say, you didn't do this the way I would have done it. All right, great. How would you have done it? Well, I'd have done it this way. All right, fantastic. Then maybe I'll consider doing it that way. One time in 30 years, in less than 30 years, I should say, that I've had that happen. Almost every other occasion, I have been on my game and done my best to, to get the client to do what we had to do including how I write up the paperwork. So if I am writing paperwork that says, you know, the system the system is failing right here, this particular zone of devices isn't working, the liability is blah, 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 sign here. When the client's looking at that and they'll go, well, I don't want to sign this. <laughs> well, then let's fix it. You still got to sign it, but let's set a date to come back and fix the problem. You can actually use that as a lead-in to how we are going to fix the problem with them. So 
this can be a tool for leverage, all right? You could leverage the client against the risk of whatever's happening. As you probably know, I've done a lot of sprinkler work and I was never a fitter, but I absolutely was a sprinkler inspector and can still hold my own in sprinkler inspections. I had a client one time, I had seven, six or seven painted heads in the basement of the building that the, they owned. So I said, well, these heads are all painted. And if you don't know how this game is played, if a sprinkler head comes out of the factory and it's a brass head, it needs to be a brass head. It doesn't get painted white. It doesn't get painted black. It stays the brass head. Well, this particular head was brass and it had paint all over it. And the paint can be minor, you know, little touch with a brush, uh, or it could be a big gob of paint. I've pulled sprinkler heads out of buildings that had six or seven layers of paint on them. We, they would never have operated. The reason the code says you need to write these things up is because there's a seal that the paint will glue closed. So if the bulb or the solder link uh, melts out or pops and the seat doesn't release, the water doesn't fall out of the pipe. Okay? It's just that simple. The idea behind the code is if you touch that with paint and it got around that seal and, and cemented it closed, even if you wiped it off, it still may not work correctly. When it comes out of the factory, it's UL listed to work correctly. So you don't know. All you know is if someone's painted over it, it needs to be replaced. And we're not talking a million dollar head here. We're talking something that may, at that time, may have cost 30 bucks a head to this client, may have cost 30 bucks a head, if they were lucky, all right? We're, we're not talking a very expensive fix here. Anyway, I found six or seven heads that were painted and I said, well, I have to write these up. Well, the fire marshal was just here, okay? So let's stop and look at that. First off, why do I care if the fire marshal is just there? I'm licensed by the city I'm working in to do this work, which meant that the fire marshal said, hey, Mike, you can do the work. Here's your license number. You've jumped through all the hoops and your knowledge is, a, is enough that you can go out and in my absence, look at these systems and at least evaluate what's going on with them. Okay, so fire marshals granted me permission to work on a sprinkler system and to identify problems that I think are, are issues. So when you tell me a fire marshal's been there, that means nothing to me. First off, I don't even know if it was a fire marshal. Second off, I don't know if the fire marshal was looking at your sprinkler heads. And third off, I don't care. I'm not the fire marshal. The fire marshal is not the one that's going to be liable for this. The person who was arguing with me was. So I said, okay, well, I appreciate you telling me that, but that's, that's still an issue. Well, I'm not going to change these things out. I said, that's fine. That, that's entirely up to you. But when there's a fire and these things don't work right, what's going to happen then? Because your insurance company is going to come after somebody and it damn sure won't be me because my stuff's going right on here in the paperwork. These six heads are painted and must be replaced. Sign on the dotted line. Well, I won't sign this. I said, okay. Then I'll make sure we put on here that the client didn't want to sign the paperwork. So I go to work on the system and I'm up underneath the stairwell and I'm trying to do what we call a back flush on it. And the whole time, this particular client is just reading me the riot act. I mean, just reading me the riot act about, about the heads and, and, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. And 
So finally, I just looked up. I said, I'm done. And I grabbed my paperwork and I grabbed my tools and I got in my van and I drove away. I said, I'm not going to do your work. You can go find another company. I didn't even, I didn't even charge her. I just said, I'm done. That's it. Game over. Of course, they were mad and called the, called the office. And I explained to the office exactly what happened. And they said, no, that's the right call. That's exactly the right call. Don't do it. If, if the, if the, if there's an insurmountable issue with a client and they don't want to listen to reason, and I'm a pretty nice guy. So when I lay this stuff out to a client, I'm not, you know, I'm not here to throat punch anybody. I'm here to really tell you how I feel. I take my job seriously. I don't mess around. I don't want to see, I don't want to read about you in the paper tomorrow. I guess when we had papers, I don't want to read about you on the news. Right? I don't want to go to the web and find out that this place burned down and somebody died because you didn't care enough to change out a $30 head. Seriously? Come on. Work with me on this. So these issues, when we're working in life safety and we're working in security and we're working in access control and stuff like that, all these issues are important. Every single one of them. Right? Especially as, as time goes on and, you know, if you look out the window, things really aren't going all that great in certain areas of the city. So it might might behoove you to to have your 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 eye on the prize here and to to make sure that you've got all your ducks in a row. So the beginning of this lecture was to start off going, what's the best? What's the best panel? What's the best this? What's the best that? There are no good ones. They're all good. They all do their job. They're all UL listed to do their job. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter if it's a if it's if it's a uh, you know, uh, Fike to ESD, Simplex to Siemens, they're all good. Being factory trained or getting trained and understanding how these things work is critical. If you don't understand, then you need to push to get that training or you need to do more than just look at YouTube videos to figure it out. The other day I ran into a, a snag on a little tiny issue I could not remember. I called my buddy up that works for, for Simplex and he, in in 45 seconds, reminded me of the of the little tiny trick I needed on that one piece of software to help me help me uh, you know basically pull my head under my tuchus. Having friends in the industry that can help you when you vapor lock is the same thing I teach technicians. If if I get vapor locked on a problem, I'll whip out my piece of paper in my pocket and I'll start drawing it. I'll explain it to my apprentice or I'll explain it to another LEA and I'll go, what what the heck am I doing wrong here? And as I draw it out for him, I usually realize what I've done wrong here. I've, I've gotten tunnel vision and I can't pull myself away. So you do the same thing. You take everything I'm telling you here and you apply that, okay? And you apply it and you tell your apprentices and your apprentices tell other apprentices. Don't keep any of this stuff. Don't personalize any of this stuff. You share it. I want you to surpass me. I want everybody listening to this podcast to be a better electrician, a better technician, a better person than me. I don't want you to go backwards. I want you to go forwards. I want everybody here to be better at what we do. And I want to make sure that we're on the cutting edge of doing it right. Because I can certainly tell you that there are plenty of people out there that are doing it wrong. Do it right, okay? Cover your tails. Remember that, that and don't get caught up in the game of this is better than that or I'm better than you or you suck at this, okay? If you know somebody is struggling with something, help them out. 
don't personalize that. Help them out. Help them get to the next level. Help them figure it out. And the last thing I'll leave you with is that everybody learns differently. All right. And uh, this is the, I think, I think I've, I think up until this last fall, I shared with every single class I taught that there are three basic ways of learning. There's kinesthetic learning where you touch things with your hands. There's audio learning and there's visual learning. So sometimes people have to see it. Sometimes they have to touch it with their hands. Sometimes they have to hear it. Uh, when I hear things, I build a picture of it in my brain. When I touch it with my hands, as long as no one's looking over my shoulder, I can, I can get an idea of how it's supposed to work. Um, you know, and you can have a, uh, you, you can, you can be a kinesthetic learner that, that leans towards audio. You could be an audio learner that leans towards visual. You don't have to, it's not like it's one of those three things. Whatever your learning style is, understand how it works and do it. Follow that, right? And if you're working with somebody, figure out what their learning style is. Because the person next to you, you think is a complete blithering idiot, they're not. I guarantee you they're not. Okay, I guarantee you that they have a different look on life. They have a different look at how they deal with technical problems. They may have home problems that are giving them crazy, you know, driving them crazy. They may have kids that are keeping them up at night. Maybe they're, 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 you know, they've got financial issues. What the hell's going on? You don't know. Okay, but when we're working in these technical fields, almost everybody comes to the table with the knowledge they need to do well. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gone. They wouldn't have got through the testing. They wouldn't have gone through the classes. They wouldn't have made it, all right? So you look at somebody and go, well, that guy's an idiot. You've already, you've already decided this person's fate before you've ever dealt with them, okay? Stop saying that. They're not idiots. They may have a different learning style. They may be more adapt at things than you. They may look at things from a different perspective than you, but I guarantee you, Okay, that they are as bright as you, they're as smart as you, and they can figure it out. And the areas that you might be lacking in, they're not. All right, they're not. So step back with the ego, step back with all that, and just look at people as who they are and where they're at, and figure out what their learning styles are, and help them get to the next level, and have them help you get to the next level. Right? That's what I'm going to leave you with tonight. I want you to remember there is nothing out there. There's no good panel. There's no one panel better than the other. There's no one system that, that outperforms the other. They're all good. They're all excellent. They're all UL listed in the, in the fire life safety world, which means they've all jumped through the hoops, learning how those things operate, learning its capabilities. Now, there are some things about capabilities of systems that you would probably want to know, but learning how they operate, learning how they work, that's something that's critical, right? So get better at that. Knowing that every single building that's out there has documentation or should have documentation with it. If you can't find it and it was never given over, well, then shame on whoever put it in. Start that trail now. Start it today. Okay? If you go out and you say, hey, man, the problem was here, then write that information and leave it in the panel for the next person. Don't, don't keep it to yourself. Right? Make sure that all the documentation goes back to your company so that you can bill correctly and that the liability issue is off your back. And remember, what we do here is important. All right? It really is important. 
these buildings have life cycles these buildings change out the people things happen but it's there to protect the people in the building from whatever things are happening whether it's fire or bad weather or who knows what we're a part of that folks we're a part of that and it's an important part of that so do your part do your part Thanks for listening to the Half Watt Podcast. We always want to hear from you, and we encourage you to email us at halfwattpod at gmail.com with questions or even your own stories. Funny, crazy, or praiseworthy, we want to hear it all. You can follow us on Instagram at halfwattpod to stay up to date on our feed. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And share us with a friend, the best way to help us grow. The Half Watt Podcast is a production of Now Hear This Studios.